Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, but other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from your mouth, from our mouth. Our collective mouth. You were right there. An ultimate word. <clears throat> At the finish Stumbling. line. Hey, my name is Joe Hilliard. I'm here every week with two of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. Dave Gurney? Carlos Cooper? I, don't yeah. know. I, wanna, I, don't I was hoping that. two other guys are going to walk through the door. I just filled the spot. In case you haven't been here before, we're going to open a beer and then we're going to yep. drink it while we discuss a movie. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to discuss the beer. <laughs> And then we're going to duplicate our We're going to do it, all, we're <laughs> we're do do it, it twice. Again. We have two interesting movies. Same beer and in, same movie each time, actually. Two interesting <laughs> movies, two interesting beers, three interesting guys. Let's time. see what happens. Let's get that beer cracked. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited this week uh, to, to get going here. And we, we have a, a repeat offender uh, back to the show again, Ingenious be- Brewing out of uh, Humble, Texas. We've talked about them many Humble. a time. We... Umble. 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 No H. I don't pronounce the H on humble. Umble. Oh. I used to live in Umble, and that's what I called it was Umble. Umble. All right. Well, the to the uh, huge craft brewing scene up in Umble, Texas, <laughs> Ingenious is absolutely top of the market. Uh, they We've had them do IPAs. We've had them do stouts. We've had them with lots of adjuncts. And here they're doing a different style beer than I think we've ever had before. We've never had a cream ale from them. So this is going to be our first time with a cream ale from Ingenious. But they're doing the adjunct game with this. They're putting some orange uh, flavored or soda is what they say. So I'm guessing they use some syrup that you would associate with orange soda probably. Yeah. And then vanilla. So going for kind of that orange creamsicle kind of vibe with, with this one. David, uh, you and your interesting colored beers. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, and it was another ingenious. In row, yeah. Like, but yeah. although this wasn't the color that got me necessarily to bring it to the show. It last was, last yeah. week, you brought that um, smarty green apple beer, right? And I reached out to Ingenious. Oh, did you? I did. I, I always send a link of our podcast to any of the breweries that we don't completely trash the beer. And I said, hey, we did another Ingenious, and. We have a question for the brewmaster, the the person that helped craft this beer. Was the color intentional? Was that the plan as designed? They liked the post, the, the comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they thumbs up to me back. Huh. And that's all I got. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, that doesn't tell you anything because no. you were asking them to say which. Unless yeah. a thumbs up right. is a universal Facebook message symbol for yes. <laughs> I think it's a more of just like, yeah. I saw your right. message. Not going to take yes, it. Yeah. hundreds of messages. Thanks for mentioning a day us. From we, our yeah, fans. We, yeah, yeah. So leave well, us alone now. Please. We'll, we'll forgive them on that. Oh I mean, yeah, that's, no hard feelings. Yeah. It's Christmas time. But no, <laughs> that's right. It's an interesting color. This looks like what, like, like, like a Fanta almost. It looks like a yeah, yeah. orange soda. Sure. Yeah. So we'll we'll, we'll get that and, and smell you know, the cream. Definitely you can smell get, the orange. Yeah, get that on the nose. So we'll get to sip on this while we talk about this week's first film. Um, which is the new release of the pair? It and, is. Yeah. It is um, the latest, and I, you know, I feel it, I, I feel necessary to say latest directorial effort from Guillermo del Toro because we see so many movies that say from Guillermo del Toro, right. and where he's the they're producer, often yeah. just pro- he's producing it and they're using his name to try to stir something up around you know maybe. In some cases, lesser films or whatever. Yeah. Because um, I, I I have talked to a lot of people where they're like, oh, I didn't get one of Del Toro do that. And I was like, no, he just 
uh, was a producer. Yeah. So, sometimes even co-wrote some of them. But anyway, yeah. um, but this is a, a directed by Guillermo del Toro film, um, Nightmare Alley. It's adapted from a novel and is also consequently a remake of a 1940s film noir uh, film, which I... What? I'm not going to extend it. I'm okay. doing the thing. I'm doing... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just... <laughs> which, I, which I've never... And you weren't being vague at all. That was a very specific fact that you just which I had, ne- Which I'd never seen or I, I didn't know that this had, had been a film before. I didn't know it was a novel until uh, the credits were rolling and it said adapted, you know, whatever. Um, but so... What essentially what it's about is a guy uh, named Stanton Carlisle, who's played by Bradley Cooper, uh, who's a little down on his luck. He's, um, you know, not in the best financial shape and gets off this bus, sees this carnival, wanders in and, you know, tries to uh, find some work or do something for somebody to maybe make it to the next town, whatever. Gets kind of taken in by them. Um, and then starts to learn some things about the carny life and, uh, figures out that, uh, you know, maybe there are some aspects of this life that suit him and that he can use to better his station in life. Mm-hmm. And he, and that's what he does for the rest of the film is tries to, uh, use those skills to his advantage. Right. The skills of um, mentalism. Of mentalism, yes. Yeah, uh, that being the particular Really weird Psych the Movie remake. <laughs> uh, Are they mentalists on that show? He... It, it, I thought they were psychologists. He So he's a psychic, quote-unquote. psychic. Oh, but okay. He's a psychic, but he isn't actually psychic. He's just a very good detective and hyper observant and has an incredible so memory. So he does a photo- the game. He's looking at He has the, a photographic you know, like, memory. Oh, you wear it's shoes exactly, like that. Because exactly. It, yeah, that's, yeah. And they often make jokes on that show about the mentalist, which was created after Psych was, which has the exact same premise, but isn't like a straight up comedy the way Psych is. But, but he also is using tells to be able to do And faking the, being the, psychic yeah, yeah, and yeah. working with the police department. Okay. Obviously, Bradley Cooper a.k.a. Stanton Carla doesn't work with the police. He does, like, a show. Uh, right. Uh, uh, this is post-Vaudeville, but kind of similar. Yeah, right? this is right um, around World War II. Right right at the beginning yeah. of World War II is where this is all set. And time, and time is kind of funky in it, too. Uh, one thing that... So I saw it with Kylie and our friend Cecile, and one thing that they both kind of... Um, had a hard time... I don't want to say had a hard time with but had some questions about maybe was how long he was working at this carnival. Oh, uh, well, Because yeah. it's not like, it's not super specific. That gets collapsed, and it although gets collapsed. it's a quite extended part of the film. I, and I've yeah. seen... And he's clearly there for a while because he does a lot in yes. that period of time. And he learns a lot. And he's and you only get but a couple scenes where he's learning. Yeah, and then but it's less of the yeah. film than what you would expect from the trailer, I think. Which is one thing I really loved about this movie and it's like rollout mm-hmm. was that we got some meaty trailers that sure. had some that had stuff in it to get you hooked in yeah. and to make you want to see the film for sure but they didn't tell you anything about the plot really no no i think you're you're and right so the trailer I, and was I very really, effective and i really like conveying that. mood atmosphere general sense that there's going to be some nefarious things going on but not not much but not be- what specifically that, yeah uh, it's so interesting I, I i liked i i appreciate that about del toro as a 
filmmaker kind of overseeing that and making sure. Well, he's definitely, yeah. I mean, not too much is telegraphed. He's a storyteller who really revels in laying his story out incrementally the way he wants his audience to receive it. You know what I mean? He's a very deliberate storyteller, and we get that in a lot of ways in this film. And I mean, this is probably the most meta of his films, and that I think it is essentially about working in the entertainment industry and doing this thing to captivate audiences, draw them into your little story, get them to forget about the smoke and mirror, you know what I mean? Or pay attention to the smoke and mirrors and forget about the stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, anyway, th- th- we can go back to that later. I, I was going to stop for a moment there where you were saying he- he's been a- explicit in interviews saying that this isn't a remake, that he doesn't even think of that first film. As a- I don't know if he said he hasn't seen it or what, but... It's yeah. very much him trying to interpret the novel, which he claims was no, something No, but like, I understand at the ending of this film, which I'll definitely talk about if anyone <laughs> else wants to, uh, is very different from that earlier version. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I wasn't I wasn't trying to say that it was a remake of the movie, but I just think consequently being adapted oh, from sure. the no, same I mean, I, original text it is in a way whether you like it or it's not it's another kind of, attempt you know? at adapting um, the same novel but, and I, yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. One, I, of the, one of the fascinating aspects of the plot that is worth talking about is the idea that bradley cooper it seems like really understands how the marks the term that's used for the folks that are, are, are the customers um, or the audience how, how much money here. can be made doing this if we elevate it from the carnival cheap tawdry setting to a more sophisticated setting so he falls in love with Rooney Mara they take off to do their own act and and, how could you not and he's very very successful well he understands that also happens really fast the production value right I mean you see him at the carnival creating a new stage show for Molly the Rooney Mara character Mm -hmm. doing essentially the same thing like the ability to take an electric shock without it debilitating her or knocking her out or whatever and setting it up in a more theatrical way that's more pleasing to the eye, that's going to draw more people in. This, right. you know, so he understands this kind of showmanship and is stepping towards the kind of theatricality that, uh, yeah. yeah, the, the yeah, respectable... I don't, I don't envy you, Carlos, for trying to do a plot synopsis of this film in 30 seconds or so, yeah. because there's almost three movies here. There's, sure. there's The Life of the Carney... Mm-hmm. Then there's his sophisticated stage show that he's doing in the finest clubs in the you know in the most metropolitan cities. He's wearing a tux and he's doing that cold call mentalism, right? And then the twist where he meets Richard Jenkins, who, uh, you know, Richard Jenkins, one of the favorite, one of our favorite supporting actors on this show. We'd love Richard Jenkins here, sure. Yeah. Um, Kajillionaire, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um, Cabin in the Woods. Who is looking for some guilt relief for his from his dead wife? No, mistress. No, mistress. No. Thank you. Not e- Yeah, mistress. But even worse, like even somebody worse, who he yeah. was like not owning up to have, being the father of their child. Yeah. yeah. And who di- yeah. But he wants to contact her, being you know, and that's why he employs Bradley Cooper for ex- exorbitant amounts of money. To, to do this now, Brad Cooper. No, Bradley Cooper knows he's running a scam the entire time. And how do we? Uh, how do we make? No, Bradley Cooper never thinks he's contacting the he, dead. Uh, he doesn't. No, he doesn't fully buy into it. In fact, he's told by everybody. But he believes that do what seance. he does can can achieve the same result as somebody getting in touch with. He, I understand. He buys into it more than pausing, he should. But he totally knows he's no, he's no, no, faking no, no. that. Yeah, he yeah, knows yeah, he's faking. Yeah. Right. But but he but he doesn't. 
he has ceased to live in reality as we know it by a certain point because he thinks that he can take this farther than he actually can. Well, I don't like, know, but what, is like, it that he okay. ceases to live? He, it's that any, he accepts any, that he is going to be the top cat in whatever game he's playing. Like, he sees people manipulating each other, and he sees himself as the master manipulator. I, I agree with that. But at the same time, I think anybody who was in their right mind and wasn't so up their own ass by a certain point would realize that as soon as uh, uh is it ezra what's his name um, yeah grindle something? grindle yeah the richard jenkins character as soon as grindle sees his deceased lover he's not just gonna sit on his he's just not gonna get on his knees and pray he's gonna run over to yeah, that well apparition it, or person or whatever I, like obviously that was going to happen and I don't think that's to the detriment of the film. I, I, I'm not saying that that predictability made me not like it or something like that, but I think it is playing into the extreme egoism of the Stanton Carlisle character. Fair. And that I he mean, has, while not fully untethered from reality and believing that he actually is a medium, is yeah. somewhat untethered from reality in the limits of what is possible. Well, he, and he also hasn't taken seriously enough the warnings he's gotten about Grindle being this like nefarious character. Like, Yeah, who's like, gonna fucking murder him well like. that's what yeah gonna murder her and has been abusing women habitually over the like <laughs> is that is that's really only revealed person. in that moment which to me makes that whole sequence that whole scene believable enough like and, and i get it there's hubris involved i would call it more hubris than like you know he's truly thinking that he's in but it's this hubris about being in control and that he's always going to have the upper hand because he's it's the one It's a hubris-filled delusion. He's reading the room. He's the one who's going to understand what all the different moving parts are and be able to come up with the solution. And he gets people out of tight scrapes. I mean, part of what endears him to the carnival at a certain point is him being able to yeah. fool this sheriff who comes to shut them down because he hears about the geek attraction that they have, which is, you know... Another very important subplot of this film, this yeah. idea of how does a geek become a geek? And, you know, if, if you've heard of this term, it's funny. Like, as I was watching this, I was thinking about like this, you know, my dad was born right around the time that this film is set. Right. Oh, and I'm like, okay. he was there for that last era of these traveling sideshows. And I remember him telling me about going and seeing like a geek bite a head off a chicken like these kind of that was like a an experience that people had and to think how would somebody be so depraved to do that and early in the film you know willem dafoe kind of sets it up that well there's a whole process right we yeah. find somebody who's down on his luck who is alcoholic and yeah. then we bring him in we give him a little hey we'll give you a drink if, if you can do this work for us we're in a pinch we need the, a geek. the drink is laced with opium that's right yeah. and then you get him hooked <laughs> on an even worse drug that's going to make them so dependent that they cannot which I think you. Yeah. I think I think that scene specifically too kind of helps with um, grasping the time that he's been there because Willem Dafoe would not tell no some guy right. off the street that like so right. at that point I mean he you takes realize, a quick liking to him but I agree like at that that that's a sign that okay he's been working there some time he's gained their trust yeah yeah, yeah absolutely he he. he he has a rapport. He's trusted. Yeah. You know, he's... he, And that's he what I... So what Joe said earlier is, I think, really <laughs> an important point. Like, this film does feel at least bifurcated, if not trifurcated, right? That there are these segments to the film. You have the carny experience of, like, the first hour of this film. And then you which, have... Which, can I interrupt you? I loved 
Sure. I love that yeah. topic. Yeah. I love, I mean, I'll, I'll go on and on. Yeah. I love you, the whole, let's go behind the scenes and see how these 40s traveling shows work. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. fascinating. How did just, we, how did we entertain each other back in these times? How do we, and again, if you don't see the relationship between this and the types of films that Tel Toro has made over his career, people with supernatural powers, people with abilities, going into fantasy fairy tales. worlds, fairy tales, <clears throat> like this whole like spinning, weaving tales for one another. Um, so you have that segment. You right. have the segment, like you say, where he's a proper nightclub act. It jumps forward. It tells you it's two years, I think, yeah, in between there. Um, when, they, when he and Molly leave the carnival and have set up this act, they're in Chicago. They're, you know, kind of a going concern at this particular nightclub you see a little bit of that that's fairly short because it does pivot pretty quickly then to him getting into the schemes with uh, the psych the psychiatrist the shows played by Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. um okay let's pause there for a second yeah absolutely perfect femme fatale <laughs> The acting, oh, she's the, great. She's the great. acting in this film. Every she hits every note of that yeah. trope. Yeah, in a the acting noir of this story. film and the variety of actors that they use to tell all kinds of different characters is first class. Yeah, first rate, top notch. Pick your superlative. So be, before I lose it, the, Go ahead. the thing that I love is that even though it feels very separate, it also has a very seamless togetherness to it because it's all kind of about the same thing even when it fools you into thinking it's not about that thing anymore right like by the end of it i was totally convinced the whole thing's a carnival all of this shit is a carnival we're all living in a car like this is like these games that people play with one another the way that they use smoke and mirrors the way that they lure people into believing whatever it is they want them to it's just it's beautiful storytelling on such a grand level, at least in terms of like the human experience, you know, going up this ladder and then mm-hmm. falling precipitously and finding yourself exactly where you kind of began, but with this new kind of knowledge. I mean, it, it, you know, we've talked about it some. This is a great film. I mean, anybody who comes out of this um, <coughs> feeling disappointed... I'm disappointed in you. Yeah, the, the cinematography. Might be disappointed in Kylie then. Oh, hold, hold, hold on. The cinematography. Aaron wasn't. Aaron wasn't quickly sold, and I was disappointed in her. <laughs> <laughs> Are the relationships okay, guys? We, you know, okay, I, uh, well. uh, the the cinematography, the art design. Oh yeah. I mean, the the, the acting. I've now I was mentioned. a little concerned at the beginning. The fog was being a bit overused. There was something about like <laughs> yeah. every was moment of, of the day. There's fog just sifting. But he, he kind of got over really, it at a certain point. Really, really concentrated areas too. <laughs> yeah, of oh, like yeah. smoke coming out yeah. of like a walk. But it looked cool. It, it looked was just so after cool. a while. It did hit me like, okay, you got to tone it back a little it. bit. Oh, yeah, right. I didn't notice. I noticed it, it was. That's it, funny. The first, the time I noticed it the most was when uh, it's kind of like the first time that. Uh, Carlisle um, sees Molly in a significant way. Mm-hmm. He's walking through the carnival, and there's like a guy playing a guitar and a contortionist dancing. Mm-hmm. In that scene, Snake the like Man. smoke coming out of random parts yeah. of the ground yeah. was like intense. I, I guess now that I think about that specific scene, I and assume unrealistic. they were doing a dress rehearsal, <laughs> and smoke is used in the act. Yeah, maybe like, I don't it, know. Like it was literally it, part of the show. I don't know. I, I just, I mean. When I saw it, I was like, "This doesn't look realistic at all," but it does look cool, mm-hmm. and so I'm in. I, like, I, I don't, I, 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 you know, and yeah. I think, and I, and so I, that's one thing that I, I, I wanted to talk about with this movie, is I did, I really liked it. Yeah. Of the three people, myself included, that I saw this with, I was 
by and large the most positive the biggest fan. Yeah. coming out of it. And one one thing is that so Stanton Carlisle, Bradley Cooper's character, spoiler alert, gets geeked at the end, right? Um, like, let's just... <laughs> and boy, does he. Let's just, you know... By get, Tim Blake get, Nelson. He, he, he Tim plays Blake a Nelson. dangerous game. All of the reasons why he shouldn't play the game are specifically told to him, and then the game turns, and he is yeah. back where he started, but even worse. Flew too, clo- flew too close to the sun. Sure, and, yeah. And, yeah, and, and there's stuff that happens while he's playing the game that leads... Anyway, um... But as soon as he was running from the police, then he gets in the train car. And the train car he gets into happens to be full of chickens. I immediately knew that we were coming back to the geek. Yeah. When I saw, at first, at first I saw it and I was like, the next time we see him, because they closed the door on him, he's going to be trapped in there for such a long period of time that he's going through withdrawals and in the train car, he's going to bite a chicken and that's going to be the end of the movie. That was oh. what I thought initially. Yeah. Right. But then he goes back to the carnival and then a different you know, carnival, a different yeah. carnival, different. Guy, Although whatever. the one that has taken over because yes. remember he has they bought a bunch the, of the props. Yeah. W- right. The preserved fetus or with the third yeah. eye. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that eye follows you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there are parts of this that I I saw coming in different ways. Like I knew that Richard Jenkins' character Grindel wasn't gonna just get on his knees and pray that he was gonna run towards Molly and realize that. Yeah, that yeah, seemed like a really ill-conceived plan. Well, yeah, because well, that's what I was. That's the point I was making earlier is that any idiot could have known that that was a bad plan. Well, and also Bradley Cooper was writing on so top of that, that Molly was totally out of it i mean she was literally trying to leave town yeah and he ropes her back in her heart was not was in not the, i mean in it. it was he's drunk knew, like you know the yeah whole, no the, he the was desperate thing. he was trying um, to pull off this last thing yeah yeah also because he knew we've all at, been there <laughs> well because he also knew his life depended on it yeah very literally uh well he could have skipped town i mean like he did have he thought he had some money stowed away yeah and he, and he could have skipped town but he wanted to see this deception sure, through that's true, come that's out true. on top it, yeah i mean it it's a it's a fascinating sort of thing to see that character go through but i i wasn't as surprised by the i have to say and i i totally i get blindsided all the time by films i mean i so so don't get me wrong i'm not trying to say but i knew as soon as willem dafoe launched launched into that speech in the diner oh so about you knew it how even earlier beat. oh i'm like they're spending way too much time with this for this not to be a really important thing for me to know <laughs> okay. about and to hear about later in the especially film. when alcoholism is part of the scheme and we watch him begin drinking when he had been a teetotaler <laughs> for half of the movie that's right he had been very and very now that you mention it why was i so blind yeah no yeah. no 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 well i yeah yeah, I thought, I thought that was more of like a morality thing, and that you know, more so than it was going to come back to that for Bradley Cooper specifically. I thought it was just like, oh well, he's willing to accept this. So what else is he willing to do going down the line? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but obviously, what you're saying makes sense because you were right about that. Um, but what? But, but the point I wanted to make was that. Any amount of predictability and like plot or whatever that came from this movie uh, did not bother me at all. Uh, I think that the film, I, I think the genre film in general is playing into certain tropes that are designed to satisfy an audience, you know, yeah. and kind of like having an idea of what's coming and then seeing it happen. There's a certain amount of satisfaction sure. that you get as an audience member from that. And I think rather than 
you know, a filmmaker at this at this day and age, you know, fucking 80, 90, 100 years after the kind of emergence of film noir as like a big thing could try to look at it and be like, how can I elevate this? How can I, you know, and, and might think of like, oh, well, I'm going to make the twist a really big twist that nobody sees coming. You know, you could take that approach to it from like a storytelling perspective. But I think what Guillermo del Toro does is he just notches the style up. He makes everything look sure. fucking awesome and everyone acts super good, super well. The, all the acting is yeah, great. Oh, the set design, and the, the set design is great. They, the we haven't mentioned great, Tony everything. Collette and David Strathairn. Well, that's yeah. it's hard. They're we haven't mentioned Ron incredible. Perlman. We haven't mentioned Ron Perlman. We, we haven't. Re- I mean, we talked a little bit about Will, about Willem Dafoe, but not intently. Um, Mary Steenburgen. I mean, this is a pack. Although cast. having ha- having Richard Jenkins and Mary Steen. Virgin in a movie together is two stepbrothers ish. Yeah, a, I think it's a bad <laughs> yeah. idea. I think uh, this was separate enough that it. But didn't her character, that shit was crazy. Oh, that was that a great. Came out that of was nowhere. a great. That was yeah. such I, a good Then scene. it didn't, and then and the fact that I, that one know, I that, did not see coming. I I didn't predict that would happen, but I knew something would go awry with one of it because he was warned. He was said, yeah. if you spook him, then. It leads to bad stuff, mm-hmm. and he went ahead and he spooked them, and then you know, yeah, that's he, what they referred to he when told they said that couple that uh, he had been in contact with their dead, dead son, son, right? Yeah, right. and I can't wait to see you again. Yeah, and she and they'll all be together again. And she's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> yes, right. We're gonna go. Shoot shoots him. the husband, shoots herself in the head, and you know, and and I don't know if I've interrupted anybody. Apologies. Guillermo del Toro has this thing. So to me, the gold standard's Pan's Labyrinth. I know you're Carlos, a huge uh, fan of Shape of Water. I don't know how those two rank for you. I, Pan's Labyrinth is higher. Yeah, to me, the gold standard of of del Toro is Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, I think that's undeniable. And he has this incredible ability and maybe we'll talk about it again in the second half, of bringing violence in in such a quick, deliberate, sh- not shocking, because the, the murder-suicide Uh-oh. that, that Mary Steen... It's intense murdered, in this one. It's not shocking, but it's a use of violence that punctuates like a, <laughs> like a hammer to the head. Yeah, yeah. And no, in Pan's Labyrinth, it it's the, the slicing of the mouth with the razor. Like, to mm. me, that's the one that, that uh, the, the face, you know, you know what scene I'm talking sure, about? Yeah. yeah. And, and in the movie we'll talk about in the second half, there's a couple of uh, little pieces of that. It's a Del Toro signature that is so well done, so shocking when it is done, that it never hits me over the head of, yeah, that's like... Tarantino doing almost the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he, yeah. he tends to use violence in a bit of the same way, usually with his tongue more but firmly it, yeah, in his cheek. Yeah, I, but I do think part of it is Del Toro is some. He's restrained when he uses it. It's there. It's it's graphic. He mm-hmm. shows you like bone and teeth. It's, more, case, realistic. Tooth. it's the, more realistic. It's more realistic. Oh, when too, the guy like, gets run over by the car the and the henchman. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's and it's brutal. it's as violent as one might imagine if yeah. you get hit at that speed with right. a vehicle. But it's just so matter of a fact. It's a matter of fact. Right. It's not and it's not look at the bone, look at the blood. It's right. just no, this is what happens when you get hit by a car. Right. Yeah. But well done and presented and well you know, and it's I beautiful I, in a way. I like the way that he approaches it too, because it's much more realistic. Like a lot of people could have maybe some of these like fight scenes play out where everyone gets hit like a billion times and like they're fine, you know, like a fast and furious movie or whatever, where Mm -hmm. everyone can seemingly take an infinite amount of punches, but like, um, by the next scene. Yeah. What I think it's, I think it's at the carnival Bradley Cooper. 
No, no. Ron Perlman is punching Bradley Cooper and yeah. he punches him like three times. And yeah. Molly's like, you're going to kill him. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, you probably, I mean, you know, yeah. it's not like, you know, the rock and Vin Diesel. I, I don't know. There's, there's something about no, that kind it. of like more grounded approach to it. Well, and this is the most grounded it. of his films. I mean, like the, in the, fa- the fact that there is no actual, I mean, there's plenty of people pretending that there's supernatural abilities mm-hmm. and plenty of people doing this, Good point, yeah. but there is no actual supernatural ability in this film. There is no, it's just humans doing human shit and yeah. duplicitous humans being duplicitous. Yeah. yeah, and and so and I kind of love that. Like going into it, th- there was part of me because I had not read up on it. I didn't even realize until after that it was based on a novel that was yeah, then same. made into a, you know nineteen forties film noir, and then he was doing his own version of it here. Um, but I'm glad all that exists. I'm glad it's all there. That said, I went in thinking, well, maybe there will be a supernatural element, maybe one of these characters. But no, it's 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 totally this kind of very grounded tale of just morality and 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 what you know sort of motivates people in this case mostly Stanton that we're paying attention to but you do get these side characters like Pete um who's kind of a vision of what something like what Stan might have become in some way if he had not flown as close to the sun right like he could have just ended up a kind of hopeless alcoholic mentalist but Mm, you know, he he went a yeah. little too far, and he he could he couldn't even pull back from it. Then, yeah. Which oh, and, why, and why wouldn't you, given the income that he was potentially going to make? You know, well, that's he, but then he, he elevated is, the game. Well, that's it. Where is enough enough? And I do I do kind of like again if I think about this as somehow you know, Del Toro is a, is a very smart guy, and I haven't read a lot of interviews about this film in particular, other than to hear that he had said that it was not a adaptation of the film version Mm -hmm. it was its own thing but i have to imagine he understands that there's this kind of parallel between him as a storyteller and stan as a storyteller and you know to think like he's basically saying like if you keep ratcheting it up and making more and more effective um you know entertainments that fool people in even stronger ways like using better effects and using like is that a dangerous path to walk down? No, I don't think Del Toro thinks he's on some path to to maybe self ruin. Although I, there is maybe some auto critique in there to a certain extent. Well, I, I think what he's, I think what this movie really is about is how the superhero genre is ruining cinema. <laughs> I think that's the point that Gen was uh, trying to make. Oh, not at all. I have a funny Spider Man. I saw Spider Man. I have a funny story. I'll tell in after hours. Uh, I'm on the edge of my seat. Patreon.com slash <laughs> Patreon.com slash Brand Movie Podcast. Five dollars a month gets you a bonus episode every single week. Don't interrupt. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, Joe, I, did I, you I, did you love this film? Is I mean, no, Carlos and I have just of said the okay. three of us. Okay. I think I liked it the least in okay. the room. See, mm. I thought y'all were not going to like it, and mm-hmm. I was going to be the lone person standing yeah. up for it because uh, did either of you find any issues with its pacing? Yes. Yeah, I think it got a little bogged the down. It, I did not. Yeah. It, I did. The, not, the middles were Kate Blanchett's there. Who's mad? No, I agree. I agree. Like the, there was a, there was always enough there to make me happy, but. I could feel it dragging a little in terms of rhythm in that in that section, just in terms of like narrative events. Like the carnival is pretty 
consistent where he's learning things, you're learning things, you're introducing you're learning about this him. character. You're yeah. making out with Tony Collette in the bathtub. <laughs> if you call that making out, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think they made it at least a third base is what I'm saying. So yeah. They, yeah. Uh, at least. <laughs> you you kind of get all these things coming at you. But then once it settles into that Chicago setting and he, he links up with Kate Blanchett, there is like a little bit of just sultry time in her office and and some points that kind of as they're building up towards Grindel's appearance and, and that whole thing going down that I think, yeah, I can see how a lot of people might feel that. And, and I think Aaron felt that I to do. a certain extent. You know, I, all I can say is I'm more in the Carlos camp where there was never a time where I was thinking, oh, when is this going to be over? It's more yeah. like, whoa, this is... He is nailing it. Look at this set design. Yeah. Look at that office Her that office she's in. Oh, if you ever got quote unquote bored, all you had to do was look at the screen. And well, that's what I'm saying. Enjoy the sumptuous nature of the yeah. image. Yeah. But so, to me, it was the Mooney, the Rooney Mara. Thank you, Mooney Rara. Mooney Rara character <laughs> to me was such a plot device. We know nothing flat, about yeah. this girl. Oh, we know and, a little bit. And he changed his life. She changed her life. And then. Um, she kind of drops off of the screen while he begins entertaining the Kate Blanchett relationship, right. not in a romantic way, but in a, mm. the, a, a well, a, then it, it becomes romantic. understood, yeah. which is, you know, her weaving a web of her own, which mm-hmm. was the, is that kind of the final twist of the film. Um, but damn it, that last scene, when I told you I was going to bring it up, mm. when he realizes that at this point in his life, the only job he's going to be able to get in the carnival, which is now the only life that he knows, is to be that geek. Mm-hmm. And he starts laughing and he starts And he crying. says, I was born to do this. And he starts laughing like a maniac. And they don't pull away from him oh, just no. going crazy in front of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, this movie sold me. I highly recommend the film for all of the reasons I mentioned. All the checkboxes of what makes a good movie are there. It does drag in the middle for me. But also, one thing we didn't mention was... Not a a movie killer by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. The one thing we didn't mention is the absolutely iconic Guillermo del Toro moment that we get when Molly appears as the apparition. Yeah. Very cold backdrop, snow, mm-hmm. blood like covered hands like and stuff. It's just like this. Devil's backbone. Yeah, no, this he's used dark that imagery. red. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is pure, uncut Guillermo del Toro yeah. visually in that moment. And it's so satisfying to see. Yeah. And, and what, and right there, he's he uses it good at he it. He uses it for Stan's best, supposedly, his best deception. Like, yeah. he, this is the thing that's supposed to put him over the top that he's going to, you know, be able to. In Del Toro, he has done it and he has gone over the top and yeah. he is a filmmaker of that upper echelon. And, and when Jenkins realizes that it's all a scam. Yeah. His, I mean, his performance there. Though he kind of knew, like, that was such an interesting character, and I think they played that perfectly, because he was such a skeptic, I mean, skeptic, he had the the polygraph, uh, polygraph thing, machine yeah. that they're hooking up to. It's clear that he's done this stuff with mentalists who've come to town before, and that he's frauds, like, snake charmers. That he, so he well, kind of takes frauds, this yeah. pleasure sadistic pleasure and outing these people and, and either and, killing them or and whatever. And torturing anybody, yeah, really. Really. I mean, he's just a sadist. Yeah. And, you know, but you think he has this kind of human thread there where he's like, 
you know, plagued with guilt over this thing. And it doesn't, and, and then in reality, it's like, he just probably wants to beat the woman. I mean, like it, it, he wants her to appear so that he can actually physically grab her and beat her to death himself yeah. and not just have her die from, you know what I mean? It's like, he's, a, he is like the embodiment of evil, but I feel yeah. like that was, that was really well-constructed evil yeah. <laughs> in, in the way that it played out in the film. Okay. So my final and with qu- hair was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. My final question about this movie, whose movie is it? What do you mean? Whose movie is it? Is it Guillermo Bradley Cooper? Yeah, no, like oh. character in the right, like the characters right, right. in the film. Oh, yeah, I yeah. I think that, it's Cooper's. Yeah, well, I think what, it's Kate Blanchett is the mastermind of the whole. Well, thing. she is, but you don't get to know. I mean, if anything, and this is the case with pretty she much all. She marked. He he is her mark. I know. No, that's absolutely. But the, and this is the case with many femme fatale characters. They're not really given three dimensions. They're kind of they're there as the seductress that kind of. But like, what motivates her? Because does she need the money? She clearly has tons of money. What, she just takes the pleasure in torturing a guy or, or ruining a guy. So my possibly but i don't even get an indication that that's like i i'm left i don't know what motivates her because i know what motivates stanton i know that he's feels that he's achieving he's moving up the ladder he's getting more you know Mm -hmm. so my interpretation of her character is that she is looking for an equal she's looking for someone that is on her level that she can use as her partner in crime to achieve previously unknown levels of wealth. Okay, so you think she's also motivated by wealth, I think, but well, she's too smart I think, for well, that. That well, game I think, can only go so far. They will get caught. But, but you think there was a genuine her, she had an interest in Stanton as a potential partner of hers. Well, and yeah, because she may- she says something towards the end about like, oh, I thought you were gonna be bigger than you were, but you're well, just I remember another that, whatever. And, it- and and I, and and I think what she means by that, in my interpretation of what she had done up until that point, and what he had done, and what the culmination of all those things meant, was that she was hoping that he was someone who had this particular set of skills that could also rise above their own hubris to be able to level headedly Mm. use them and effectively manipulate people at a high level in order to take money from them. Because she, as the therapist has all of this information about people that are exorbitantly wealthy and she herself can't use it because they know that they've told her these things. But if someone who's not quote unquote connected to her can get that information, use it effectively and not get wrapped so wrapped up in their own mm. God complex that they undo themselves as Cooper did. And my, my suspicion like the geeking is that she's done this to other men in the past. Yeah. And sure. Uh, and that she's hoping that at some point she can find someone yeah. who is on par with her yeah. and her, ability to objectively execute yeah it's i mean it's it's kind of a small point i mean i i didn't take it that way but that but i think however you read it it's like was his failure being so um candid when with her yeah oh putting way too much trust in her oh keep my money in your safe please (laughs) if you decide to take half of it go for it (laughs) there there certainly is that element to it as well. well that was and his undoing in the film. I meant his undoing with her. If your theory is correct, what did he do wrong? 
not what, fail at the well, end. Well, he fucked she, up the Grendel thing. He got well, yeah. But she already knew that was going to happen when the money wasn't in the safe the way that it was supposed to be. No, she no, had I don't. I don't know the heist. I think she'd been doing it all along. I think she had just taken the money. She she replaced bills with dollar bills so that when he went to get his money, it was a fraction of what he would left there. Well, because she knew, yeah, because she knew that his plan wasn't going to work. But I think what you know she was hoping for was that he would realize that his plan wasn't going to work, and he would realize that there was another way that he needed to be able to maneuver with Grindel so that he didn't have to do that, you know, like, or, or that he would have pulled he, it off. He, and I mean, he I, literally could have just said what you're asking for is impossible. Oh, sure. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. no, I mean, there's and, many, there were many points where he could have turned back, but he was lured by that possibility. Yeah. But if I can keep this guy on the hook I can make for so another, much money, I can well, he was do, getting $10,000 a visit, pop, right? Sure. Absolutely. Which in 1947, five or whatever it was, I want to say David Strathairn's name one more time, because that's two performances in a row. We loved him. I think we all did in nomad land. Here he is again. That guy's a joy. Oh, yeah. No, I see him on the he's, screen. He's great. He's great. Yeah. All right. But, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I, good, good. As good, as good I pick. as I thought about it afterwards, and as I talked about it, I kind of found more adept in Kate Blanchett's character than I had thought that I would find. And fair, I, think that's the, kind of I just I still don't feel like I had her motivations on lock by the end of it, and and that's why I would hesitate. But, that's what, but and I, it really doesn't spend the time with her as a character. <laughs> like I will agree with you that in terms of. Who has the most power in the narrative? Ultimately, her, for sure. She is the one who is able to survey the land the best and make the best decisions for herself to keep her character on top. Yeah. But in terms of coming away from the film, the character I felt I understood the best and, you know, spent the most time discovering. Sure. Absolutely, Stan. Yeah, I agree with that. And but 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 I but I do think that the film would be a failure if we were given an objective this is what her well that's it i mean because she has to be are never about femme, the, the, she's the femme the character fatale. they're she's, about right it's always somebody else pulling the strings for yeah. real that that character that we're following is the one who ends up ruined i yeah. mean that is just how these films work and, and, and this it's so one good fits it. oh perfectly and it's great to see a good film noir like neo-noir done not this. since brick have i seen one yeah that has yeah i mean it's been it's been this. a little while we yeah. were talking that's before so we got started tonight about our upcoming end of the year list our favorites our least favorites Mm -hmm. and uh i'll be very curious to see if this appears on the two of y'all's list i guess it depends on if we do a five or a ten we typically do five for the sake of time yeah that's fair and you know off the top of my head not there's only a couple of films that are really coming to mind that i don't know i think it's going to be a tough one i I haven't thought about it seriously but there's a lot of films i've really enjoyed just over the past few weeks that yeah I, I feel it's like and we, we have a few more to come. To yeah, the movies. upcoming weeks are going to be. Yeah. Well, what do you guys think of this ingenious? We have had them, have had <coughs> them on the show, uh, very concentrated over the last few months. Even. I know. Well, there's it's well, so great getting to have them in our it, market, yeah. so we we can just pick this up off the shelf nowadays. If you go back and listen far enough back in this episode or in this podcast, I at some point, d- uh, without doubt, said, "God, I wish that I could just." get this here in town what what would life be like if i could just buy ingenious and corpus and i'm <laughs> and living you know that life you know now. what that life living is. the dream i'm living that life now well this was the uh, soda shop cream yeah orange, orange yeah. yeah which makes me think that there's a soda shop like 
little line series. Well, it's probably like the Smarty yeah. one that we had last week. Yeah. What y'all think? Did they pull it off with the orange and the lactose? Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was good. And no lactose. Does it have lactose? It, it has vanilla. vanilla. It has vanilla. Okay, vanilla is what they're cream using ale, for yeah. the cream part. Um, I, I thought this was outstanding. I I assumed lactose for reasons that make sense, but well, you're it right, has yeah. the mouthfeel of a lactose. Uh-huh. I mean, I could imagine that, um, which is which is kind of impressive. But I think that probably comes maybe from the syrup. I, yeah, it, if they're using that kind of concentrate. Yeah, thing. It, it's it's got a great mouthfeel. I mean, it really does look like an orange soda yeah. p- poured yeah. into the glass. It tastes like orange soda. It has a little bit of a like hoppy bitterness uh-huh. on kind of the back end okay. as you take the sips, but it's a beer. That's a, you know that's appropriate. I'm 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 cool with that. No, I was it really impressed. At least with mildly this. tastes like a beer. <laughs> Ideally, mildly. Yeah. What 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 do you guys think? I liked it a lot. Um, it's very, very, very sweet. I think I'd enjoy I'll, one at a party and then look for something it, it, else. Yeah, I was going to say. It's kind of like the Rojo. Like, I mean, it's, <coughs> I'm. It is It is very similar to the Rojo, actually. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't think about that. What, what I thought was that I am glad that I had it this way because I don't know that I'm really trying to do a whole pint of this sure. by myself, which also just reminded me that I lied to you guys earlier and said that I don't have multiple cans of anything in my fridge because I do have multiple cans of an ingenious stout in my fridge uh, that is also very sweet and something that is most likely best split up mm. amongst a few people. We're doing two Del Toro um, films. Well, we no, could, we have we a Christmas beer a, coming we up. We do, yeah. Second, yeah, but yeah. I'm really but eager to taste. Maybe after hours. That'll be the after hours beer. But yeah, I, I thought... I thought I thought Nightmare Alley was great. I'm so glad that I saw that instead of Spider-Man this weekend. <laughs> and I'm glad that I finally got to have this beer. Yeah, I I mean I I won't comment on how I feel about it in in terms of Spider-Man. I still haven't seen Spider-Man, so we'll, I, we'll, we'll, we'll 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 know maybe soon how we all feel about that. Joe did go to see it. I saw it, and I'm gonna. T- yeah, patreoncom uh, podcast. But I am certainly glad that we prioritize Nightmare Alley. And I mean, I, and that I, fucker and made so so much money. money. Yeah, yeah. But money. But something and, and we talked about filled the, the theater up. Yeah, but something we talked about in the chat a little bit. I, for the first time in years, literally years, that I didn't buy my movie ticket on my phone ahead of time. Okay. I walked up to for the Nightmare ticket Nightmare Alley. For Nightmare yeah. Alley. I walked up to the ticket booth, bought my tickets there. Uh, as we showed up and we were a little bit late, we saw like one and a half of the previews. Um, and as we were walking up, I was like, okay, I've got to get tickets. And Kylie was like, oh, you didn't buy tickets already? And I was like, well, no. You know, Spider-Man just opened. There's probably not going to be anybody there. You know, I figured it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. Full theater, oh, like wow. a, on we had quite th- a few three three p.m. on a Sunday. Yeah, there was more full seats than empty seats. Seems to and me I was might have been Spider Man spillage. I was shocked. Maybe, but, how, but who even goes to the theater? And I mean, when I was a kid, you'd go to the theater. You had there was no uh, assigned oh, yeah, seating, sure. and yeah. you'd get there, and the movie you wanted to see was sold out. So you'd start looking at the other things. Yeah, nobody does that you, now. No, no that's not a thing. Anymore. The people yeah. that were there wanted to see that movie. Sure, yeah. And yeah. I was glad to. I My was theater was thrilled full too, but it was a much see. smaller theater. Well, it was than, a smaller theater. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't a huge. Yeah, good time at the movies. Yeah, yeah. well. We got to see this one in the theater, but we wanted to pair this with another Del Toro film. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we couldn't go to the theater for that one, but we did go with something that I think uh, will appropriately give us a peek at 
where he started things as a filmmaker when we come back. Ready to get into that second half where we're going to talk some more about Del Toro. But before we get there, it is the season, guys. And we really haven't acknowledged it too much on the show. It's not like we're doing a Christmas movies episode or a special holiday episode this year. Um, ah, we did a really good one last we, year. We did a fun one last year. Go back and listen to that if, <laughs> if you're looking for a holiday I episode. I completely forgot about that. We oh, a whole it, was, skit. it was great. Maybe we'll do another one. Uh, if, 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 I, did, uh, I did think about it this year. Inspiration but, Strikes. Yeah, I, was, I, I, I think we all got busy with, with lots of things. And I think so, I acted in that, right? I had to oh, yeah. zoom out and then come yeah, back in. We, we yeah. all acted in our thing. own ways. Um, so, you know, to, to maybe mark the season a little bit here, I did bring uh, a beer that I've never had. This is going to be my first time having it. This is from Schloss Eggenberg, um, a brewery out of Austria. This is their Semmerklaus beer. It is brewed only once a year on the 6th of December, the day of St. Nicholas. It's brewed um, that day. It's brewed that day. The beer is aged for 10 months and okay. then bottled. I was going to say. Or in this get- case... Can it has, how does it get to us that fast? It's no, it's aged thing. for ten months. So yeah, so so we're getting this. Um, it's a fourteen percent alcohol by volume. So that that's that's hefty for us for anybody, but especially impressive because this is a lager beer. This is this is a, a bottom fermented beer. Okay. And normally with our heavy ABV, those are ales. Those are those are that sure. top fermented, which seems to allow for a little bit more alcohol to be expressed. But through their process, they're able to get this. They claim it's the actually the highest ABV bottom fermented beer in the world. I don't know if that actually stands so up. To just scrutiny. remind me what a triple buck is besides just having the ABV of three shiners. <laughs> <laughs> don't do the math. I'm that's not. No, that's it's true. actually the math's pretty solid on that. Yeah, no, and and that's basically <laughs> what the math is: is you are just putting a lot more malted barley into that recipe to get this more sugar out of it into the wart and then allow those yeasts to work on that and, and create more alcohol. Yeah. 14 ABV. Nice step up from that 5.2 we just had. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's almost tripel the ABV. We'll find out. And this is, this is actually, if you, if you, nobody, I don't think we, I thought it was good. <laughs> I don't think we, uh, did it on the show, <laughs> but, um, but I know friend of the show, Harold had gifted a couple of us with triple box from Sam Adams that mm-hmm. have, um, been sitting around for, well, we're doing a I mean, utopian after hours, so the exponential trends continue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never got to, I haven't had one of those. Yeah, anyway, that's a triple buck as well. And they do age, I mean, high ABV, apparently. You can sit on these for a while. But this is the most recent batch, so we're, we're going to be enjoying some of this as fresh as you're going to have it, really. It doesn't so. smell like 14%. No, I agree. Not super boozy. And you're certainly, it's not barrel aged. You're not getting any yeah. of that like whiskey or that. But, you know, it's kind of like just a real malty nose, caramel, dark caramel color. God, that smells good. Mm-hmm. I really like the good. nose on that. Ooh, this is oh, exciting. That's a dangerous beer, y'all. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is very true. I love a week like this when we can see a movie as good as <clears throat> Nightmare Alley, but then I can check a movie, on uh, check uh, something off my list that has been on there forever, and Kronos, which of course is Del Toro's 
uh, directorial debut, feature length debut, mm-hmm. has been on my list forever. Am I the only same, one that hadn't same. seen it? I have no. owned this movie. I have owned this movie. Oh, this is our first time all three of us have for seen four it. years. And I have not watched it until. Carlos was kind of insisting on it, I think, because you had this experience of owning a copy of it and wanting to watch it, but never getting around to it. Now, prior to making Kronos in 1993, or released that year, he had done several short films. I think only a couple of them have seen like the the light of day, Mm -hmm. as far as him releasing them for public consumption. But he owned, I didn't know this, I did a little research on Del Toro today, he owned and started in the um, movie makeup business. Special mm. effects, yeah, Special that's how effects. he funded this. Um, so this is him. Uh, as a direct, We'll get into the notion of like the skill of the directorial debut and, and what we think of that, I'm sure. But um, it's a movie starring a Mexican actor, Frederico Lupi. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I thought he was Argentinian. Dude, don't fact check me. <laughs> But um, he speaks Spanish. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know that. No, but he is. I think he worked mostly in Argentine cinema. I just. I don't know it. if you realize this, but in 1536, a Mexican alchemist developed a mechanism <laughs> shaped much like a uh, a beetle uh-huh. that can give you eternal life, and it worked. Just happened to, yeah. But in 1937, there was a uh, earthquake in Mexico, and the building that this alchemist, who had been alive for clearly 400 years plus, collapsed, drove a stake through his heart, and killed him. He had hidden the Kronos device, this device about the size of your fist, shaped like a little beetle, in the bottom of a statue. Well, a Mexican antique dealer purchased that statue, finds the artifact inspects it there's a little knob you can turn he turns it it springs to life legs open up pierces his hand and not he doesn't even realize at that moment that he has been given the gift of eternal life is it a gift what we don't know though is that a mexican industrialist is looking for that this guy's like a howard howard hughes character he sleeps with vaporizers and booties on his feet mm-hmm. and doesn't want germs and wears a mask way before covid and he um has been looking for this little little device his entire life once he learns where it is he sends his thug young ron perlman his his, his nephew nephew thug. an american yeah. nephew, hell to go get it but not before we can watch the transformation of this grandfatherly figure. He does have a, a granddaughter that he's in care of, along with his wife. Um, transform, begin to transform, begin for the effects of the Kronos device to take over his life. And it all ends in a bloody battle. That's my synopsis. Thank you. All right. <laughs> good synopsis. Yeah, Ron Perlman yeah. speaking Spanish is one of my favorite things. I've ever yeah. seen it. Especially I, the curse words. I really, I really liked yeah, it right. for whatever reason. I don't well know. Done. It just really tickled me. It was interesting because it was made in Mexico. It was financed through Mexican grants and things like that. But it is very much a bilingual film. There is plenty yeah. of English being spoken and plenty of Spanish being spoken. The subtitles, I like to keep the subtitles on these days, Same. did not work in English. It was just the the, me- the Mexican subtitles were the only oh, thing yeah. that worked. Yeah, it was, there was point. a well, lot yeah. more English than I expected. Yeah. Um, I, will, I will say, I thought it was... It would be fully in Spanish. It's, it's got a Criterion release. It's well esteemed. Which Many I people find it a fantastic uh, uh, kind, of, kind of horror movie. Certainly, it won like six or seven Academy, the Mexican Academy Awards that year. Mm. Was not accepted into our Academy Awards. 
And, right. Um, it was it was the nomination or the the one submitted from Mexico. It was but a it Mexican was not entry, but made, it wasn't accepted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what's interesting it is con. Like, it's it's often mm-hmm. billed when you Google it as a vampire film, but it's certainly not the vampire well, lore that we have come to But it to is. Know, love I mean, the, yeah. That's, I mean, to a certain of, degree, it is. Part of what's great about this film is he takes something like the concept of the vampire, this kind of immortal being that has to feed on blood because that's something you didn't really get into it like part of the deal once he's bitten by the scarab uh the mechanical scarab is that he's has a thirst for blood we see there's a scene where he's trying to lick up blood from the floor of a men's room while he is you know somebody has cut themselves like like the compulsion to do it that even he doesn't understand right right he's compelled to do it and he's better off when he does it it helps him right you know Mm -hmm. so so it's clearly there's a vampiric thing going on though it's never acknowledged it's never called that it's never the other parts like he he doesn't become averse to garlic he's he's not you know scared of wooden stakes although there is a stake that i guess kills the alchemist that you know it it plays enough with the vampire mythology but it doesn't have to be wood it's just that the heart is destroyed okay yeah yeah and they do mention that they do mention that but that but it doesn't its own thing and it's not like trying to be a vampire film it can kind of separate i love that i love that he even at this like first feature stage of his career he didn't go back to the well that we all kind of right well how do i yeah how do i make a horror film that is something recognizable as a horror film and has the trappings even of a certain specific variant of the horror film but also does different things like there's never this mechanical beetle that's part of it and mm-hmm. it's not like you know in th- that what is that a uh the worm the slug that lives inside the yeah thing? some kind of inside. caterpillar one of yeah. the things i appreciate about the movie is that it's not it, it's not telegraphed to you it's mm-hmm. given to you in these like little drips and i think that the film's almost like the strongest part of the film is that in that there's no long exposition about how this device works it's just there's an insect there's an insect inside well how the hell does that work you don't know much about insects Insects can do this. Insects well, he, they're God's and, and favorite then we just, And then we just move on. Right. You Any know? intellectual curiosity that might not be satisfied is satisfied by the visual splendor of those gears turning. Sure. And like he gives you these like great, crazy super close-up shots of right. you know the internal workings of this mechanism. Well, like I said, the entire device is about the size of your fist. Right. But every time that not every time, but most several times where the legs go out, they puncture the skin. Um. They yeah, wince. They, they wince in pain. There's the telegraph that this is painful. But then it does. It it cuts to what's happening inside the device. Right. It's never clearly seen, but there's some kind of insect inside mm-hmm. that is feeding on your blood and then transmitting its own whatevers. Yeah. To you. He, he does it one time. The next day, he looks ten years younger. The mm-hmm. wife is commenting on how his sex, his libido is up. The, mm-hmm. He shaves off his mustache and looks like a forty-year-old guy. Yeah, and uh, I, I would like to actually see a documentary on how they. What was what was the um, shooting schedule? Did they shoot the old stuff first? Did they shoot the young stuff first? But yeah, well, either certainly way, they had really makeup well on him for the old stuff. I mean, that that's sure, and, sure. and so yeah, they're peeling that back later. Yeah, it's. I mean, it was well executed, and and, and I imagine it was pretty low budget, two million. Yeah, in ninety six. 
Yeah, it's not an insignificant amount of money. No, but still, but not a lot. especially given the kind of fantastical the scope yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah, and some of the camera work and the the effects. Like it, you know, he he is squeezing all of that, all that he can out of that two million. You feel I like loved you. this movie. I, I if this comes to Alamo, and we should talk about Alamo and After Hours because they're falling behind in their indie awesomeness but if this comes to a place where i can see it in the theater i think that i would be there Mm. i liked this movie very very much and you can see the kickstart that gil that guillermo del toro gave himself by creating something so interesting so different but the same Mm -hmm. uh as his as his feature debut yeah something different but familiar um it's yeah, I mean, the, the, the first time that I saw Devil's Backbone at Alamo in the theater, first time I saw Pan's Labyrinth at Alamo in the theater, I really missed those, like, kind of director-focused, like, programming that they would have. Um, one thing I read in the essay that's included in the Criterion DVD is that uh, Guillermo del Toro was a very gifted artist growing up, great at drawing. Yeah. Uh, had a, a big very, journaler, and I think he draws, you know, all yeah. of the time. Um, very devout Catholic mother, or grandmother, who was frightened by his drawings. Uh, so he's clearly, based on that anecdote, had this kind of interest in the beauty that lies within the darkness and mm-hmm. the shadowy corners of human existence, which he obviously shows right out of the gate with this movie. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, I think uh, his he also shows like a certain fearlessness as a filmmaker as well in that, you know, obviously genre films are a great way for a director to kind of break in to the industry because certain if you make a horror movie like a straight horror movie slasher movie, certain things might be forgiven where in a Oscar bait drama they wouldn't be. Um, But he doesn't rest on the laurels of the genre or anything like that. He shows that he's not, he's completely unafraid to take something that everybody loves and expects something particular out of and make it his own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, almost and, like and, push and, the walls out a little bit. Yeah. And he's clearly a very brash man because in that essay in the criterion collection, apparently the first time that he met, uh, he met Alejandro Iñárritu he cold called him having never met him before to say he saw an early cut of one of Inaritu's films and said it needed some trimming. <laughs> Just called him out of the room and said, yeah, you really need to work on this. You know, uh, <laughs> I, w- I wonder if Inaritu uh, called to say that about nightmare alley this time. Like maybe, you know. <laughs> maybe. but, but they apparently, uh, like co-own some kind of production company. Yeah. Yeah. Now, think- uh, which is cool. Um, well, I think that they're also, I mean, like they're clearly brothers in cinema because... Um, Along with Kiran as well. Yeah, yeah. The, the three of them, you're right, have worked hard to, to to make Mexican cinema a more legitimate kind of international... To be taken more seriously. No doubt. Yeah, uh, which, I mean, we've seen... Uh, well, have we done Inaritu on this show? You know, I don't think, I don't we, think have. we have. I don't think we have. I think Birdman was pre this 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 program, but I loved Birdman. Um and we did recently talk about Itumama Tambien. Magnificent. Mm-hmm. Um so they clearly have done enough to establish their legitimacy as just incredible filmmakers. And I think that you know, this film has a certain look about it that 
is interesting because it's kind of it does look at times kind of low budget like almost novella-esque i don't know what it is Hmm. about this era of film where i don't know it kind of has this look at times that's almost like some of the like educational videos that you would have been shown in school like a bill nye the science guy is is the particular visual thing that i'm referencing making any sense to either of you yeah, I mean, it is. And and it is. I don't know. I just I don't know how to describe it. it. it like maybe like the difference between like 30 frames a second versus it, 24. Well, it might be why I said that it was low budget because Cuz it does look I mean, no shade. It's a great movie yeah. and everything about it well, is done remember, very well, I mean, but it this does is, look and it's also shot on film. It's not in the digital video era. So I mean, he kind of looks digital video to me, but though. it's not, I mean, that's the thing. It, it might be about the transfer and, and, and how it was done back then. I don't know, but I mean, I, I can kind of understand where you're coming from, though. It did not stand out to me as being particularly, See, there's no piece of tele- the, television-esque ra- rather than, or televisual rather than there's no cinematic. piece of the screen during Nightmare Alley that isn't deliberately thought out and probably constructed. Sure. For sure. Here, you can tell they were using sets that were available to them. And yes, you could see, and there was one shot in particular, I was like, he took a room that was kind of, you know, out of the um, film commission website uh, industrial zone Mm. and, and, and put a little dressing on one wall and brought the camera way down to the floor to make the best shot that he, you know, felt that he could make. Well, where the but where but, the De La Guardia guy lived was, I thought very. I was surprised at how much they were able to build for that, mm. like how much they were able to do set design wise mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, like set that with right. all the hanging. If, if you told me statues that, and if stuff, if you told me that the antique store was an antique store that they found and. I believe and, that. And rented. I would yeah. believe that. But if he was doing that today, that antique store would be this like visual feast. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, you can tell. This is so like that's watching <laughs> Bottle Rocket versus watching French Dispatch. Sure. El okay. what, versus what does a filmmaker do to make his vision work when he has $2 million versus what does he do to make it work when he has he tens of millions of dollars? Job. He does a great Very job. different. He does a great yeah. job. And, and, as as we see at the end, whenever uh, Ron Perlman and uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jesus Gris, his name is um, very on the nose. Yeah, <laughs> when they're fighting on top of that building, I was I, I was thinking about this as I was watching it because you know like uh, I you know did filmmaking stuff in school and um, even after having graduated from college, have like worked on some student films as like a composer and stuff. And so I've seen a lot of amateur filmmaking Mm -hmm. over the years. And sometimes you just see somebody that clearly just doesn't have a cinematic eye. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They, Maybe, the choices are pedestrian to get the story told. Maybe they're putting a yeah. camera on a tripod at roughly eye level and thinking like, well, this is how I see things. This is the way the camera is going to see things. And it's like, well, you don't want the camera to see things the way that you see things because we all see things that way. And it's not as it's interesting. Not you know, It's not special. But the way that Del Toro has this instinctual kind of epicness to the way that he frames, like the kind of low angle epic looking shots in that final scene you can clearly see 
this 28-year-old or whatever knows what looks badass, you know, yeah. and knows what looks epic what even on a small though, the, when the, they're fighting the on the rooftop yeah it's it's when it's when the granddaughter's kind of climbing down, down those, that the, the thing and they're ladder. fighting and then that's when jesus ultimately realizes he's immortal yeah. so he's just gonna fucking jump off and take and hell with him yeah and kill and hell in the process um and that's that scene i mean you know there there's not a I mean there's not a ton of money in that scene. There's not a ton of money in this movie, you know? No. I mean two million dollars is not nothing, but for a movie of this scale and scope is pretty modest, I would say. And so the you know, there's not gonna be intense cranes and like, yeah, you know, right. fucking drones and shit, especially at that time, you know, when <laughs> right. they're yeah, shooting drones, on film. That would have been um so, you know, they don't have the ease and the you know yeah. What sort I'm looking for? Um, amenities or whatever that we have now, yeah. the technological advances. But he still well, finds a way to make yeah. it look so fucking cool. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that it's so interesting, like, having seen almost all of his work up until Nightmare, I mean, including Nightmare Alley, I'm trying to think if there's anything I'm missing from his filmography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there... I don't think there is. I might have seen all of his movies at this point. Um, to go all the way back to the beginning and see like Crimson Peak, you, you saw that one? Loved it. Okay, well, just a much, that, a much, a much that's maligned one I feel of his like films. I, I feel like it got skipped over by a lot I of people. I really liked that movie. Yeah, the, uh, and may, maybe Blade Two is, is one. I've seen that Blade Two, but I've probably about. only seen it like once. Um, yeah. But I, but I have seen it. But anyway, just to go back to like the very beginning and see like, Oh yeah. He always had that, eye. had this in him, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like seeing the, what it's like seeing the bottle rocket short film, mm-hmm. you know, like you can see that Wes Anderson clearly has this eye for filmmaking and what the camera can do to make what is presented on screen look interesting to an audience. And especially with the bottle rocket short film, because it's in black and white. I think it's 16 millimeter, yeah. uh, but it's a very crude, film from a technical perspective mm-hmm. but it's still yeah, no money no money right. but it still just fucking works you know yeah. uh and you know as there the, are certain there are certain filmmakers where even in their infancy with nothing you can see like the, all they needed was a see, jesus stumbles into this he's not looking for any of this whereas the antagonist, the the industrialist, the Howard Hughes figure yeah. that is has been looking for this his entire life for the goal of being immortal. And what's the purpose of him being immortal anyway? It's just that All he's he a wealthy man that he wants to stay wealthy even longer. Jesus doesn't seek immortality. He's got a very happy life. We're just to believe he's got. It seems like he is. He's taking care of his granddaughter, who he loves more than anything. He's got a wife, and they have a very beautiful kind of just a seemingly much modest, younger wife, real relationship. Dad. You know what I mean? And so when he, this happens to him, he's not asking for it, and he begins to look a little bit younger and have a little more you know pep in his step. He sees that man at the New Year's Eve party get a nosebleed mm-hmm. and follows him into the bathroom where the man is had a nosebleed. And he explains very briefly, I've got, this happens. 
He leaves, then those man, those bleed man leaves, and he's left a little blood on the side of the counter. Mm-hmm. And we've already seen. We kind of can. We, we we can tell. He's got the urge to do something with this blood. Mm-hmm. And as he's about to do it, the guy that's been shitting in the stall comes out and says, "Oh my God, look at this mess!" Cleans up all the blood except for one two drops on the floor yeah. of the bathroom. And the compulsion to lick the floor of a men's room must really be, you know, oh, something yeah. that no, completely yeah. takes you over. Because sure. how could you ever do it? But this actor, I looked into him because he did such a good job. Got down oh, on the floor. In every role he had, he licked bathroom floors. He was well, kind of, that, that was, was his, his thing. go-to <laughs> thing. Oh, right. He was typecasted, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Del Toro was not as licking that bathroom <laughs> floor is a horror. And I was thinking to myself, it's intense. This is the most horrific thing and maybe it isn't I've even, ever seen. And let's let, let's be honest, it isn't even that dirty of a bathroom. I mean, you no. can imagine, but it's still pretty fecal mist, horrendous. David. Fecal it's, mist. I, no, it's everywhere. don't give me. But but I'm thinking like Train Spotting, right? Is a film that oh, gave yeah. us oh, yeah. the the horror of a bathroom, the, the dirtiest in a way toilet that, in Scotland, right? Yeah. yeah, that that you can so. That it, scene is that scene is oddly sensual though, didn't you yes, feel? Sure. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, I mean that was he's something being that attracted. Is, yeah. He's, he's but like, see, but he doesn't even understand the relationship sure, of the blood and the no. requirement of the blood to really achieve immortality. Human blood, not cow well, blood. That's, not again, and blood. that's what I like, or one of the things I like about this is that yes, this is a vampire film. I'm I'm going to be one of those people who says this is a vampire. Well, film. It is because yeah, it's yeah. a fucking vampire film, <laughs> but it does it without acknowledging the vampire. He didn't have fame. Which is, Cool. Have a cape. Yeah. I, well, it, it, he doesn't a, actually prey on living people yeah. either. You well, know, and I mean, yeah, I mean, well. we, I mean, we see in the beginning the fucking Not preamble <laughs> where that guy's like hanging upside down, and there's all his blood in those yeah, bowls. Sure. That was there, there must be a bloodletting. There must be the consumption yeah, for yeah, the scarab to, to do its work. But then the Howard Hughes character explains later, much later in the film. Of course you need human blood to be immortal. Not pig blood, not cow blood. It has to be human blood. Mm-hmm. And um, then you see the turn of the relationship with the daughter. I thought it was a fantastic scene where the, the, the granddaughter hides the thing because it just it's just scary. And, and it's hurting my grandpa. Mm-hmm. And he explains, I've seen this before, when um, your father, who I guess has passed away... Uh, heard about lung cancer he hid my cigarettes because a child is going to try to protect their parent or their grandparent in the only way that they know Mm -hmm. how of course that doesn't do anything i can go out and buy some more cigarettes but then the turn of the granddaughter who loves her grandfather so much that she puts that device on him at the end to bring him back to life yeah it's it it's reminded me so much of pan's (laughs) labyrinth the female the little girl that's in that film yeah it, it was such a good movie yeah, I, I, I'm also curious about Guillermo del Toro's relationship or maybe fixation is the wrong word, but interest in addiction as a theme. Yeah. Because I feel like there is, I feel like I read both this and Nightmare Alley as like kind of an illustration of addiction and like sure. what that does to well, somebody. Certainly on the nose in Nightmare Alley. Yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah, a little bit. I never touched um, the stuff to you know. But I, but I think with Nightmare Alley, it, it it does it is a little deeper than that because we don't realize it until after the fact. But he is replacing the alcohol addiction with something else in the beginning. You know, whether it's 
his infatuation with Molly or whether it's with, you know, his obsession with becoming good at this thing that he realizes maybe he has a knack for. Like his, he's, everything he's doing, he's doing in this kind of addictive way, you know, where he's pushing it farther and farther. And it isn't until Kate Blanchett takes a drink of the alcohol and then kisses him where he kind of gets that taste for it and then allows himself to succumb to it. And then mm-hmm. that kind of fuels the latter part of the film. But in this one too, you kind of see the Jesus character knowing how bad this device is for him, that it mm-hmm. hasn't really yielded any positive results yet, but still going back to it thinking like, well, maybe if I keep it on the whole time and I don't take it off too early, then it's going to, I'll feel better or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've never, yeah, I don't know. I just, something that struck me as yeah. being very similar about these two movies. What's his and, addiction though? Addiction to the feeling of the rejuvenation of youth or the well, addiction to blood that he didn't quite understand. I mean, all I mean, of the above. I mean, there's definitely something about the blood thing, but about his like returning to the device, you know, yeah. like once, okay, sure. Yeah. A, as soon as he interacts with that device, nothing good happens yet. He keeps using it. Right. And that's the part that I found interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And to be like somewhat of a illustration of addiction. And what I found the most interesting about that is watching Kronos, I thought that. I was like, oh, here's a guy like sure the Kronos device is like different in this movie, but he's you know, he's almost like shooting up, you know? Like yeah. you could easily see that as an sure. a, as an analog for a that. Puncturing you know? of the skin. I yeah. Know. I mean there literally yeah, there literally is this like needle thing that goes into him or whatever. And then watching Nightmare Alley, I was kind of even more taken aback with the addiction angle with that because in any of the other Del Toro movies that I've seen, I've never really seen that those themes in those films in the way that I did so obviously yeah. in these two, yeah. being the first that, and the most recent. Right. I've n- I never thought about that in Pan's Labyrinth. I never thought about it in Devil's Backbone. Certainly never thought about it in Hellboy or Shape of Water. Uh, or Blade Two, well, <laughs> but Chip Water Richard, Richard Jenkins is uh, right. He's an addict in that, isn't he? Yeah. But as but, as being like a no major no, through drive line, the, you though know? it's it's an important part of his character, and that yeah. But it, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, the, these two films do do share that. Um, there's a fantastic. There's yeah. a like a. I don't, would we call this a Del Toro touch? After Jesus is killed by Ron Perlman quote-unquote killed he shows up at the morgue and there's a quick cut between his corpse in the uh, ron perlman has put him in a car faked that he's been drinking and pushed him off a ledge Mm -hmm. no one can survive that he shows up at the uh, morgue and there's a quick cut to some like um conjunto music i hope i pronounced that correctly given my south texas roots uh and the kind of gruesome job that is um morticianing Mm -hmm. anyone that works in that field is a kook is crazy of course i'm talking to number Uh, one ferguson right now um i didn't realize that until recently actually yeah Yeah, no he posted something on facebook wearing a wu-tang sweater amazing sweater but uh (laughs) sewing the lip shut 
Yeah. But with that yeah. da, 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 music, I was that like, that guy was kooky. <laughs> well, he is yeah. the only. I guess there's a sequel to this. Film. Well, yeah. yeah, like a very the loose only sequel. taking that character. That character and, yeah, is yeah. the only thing that's in common. He was, yeah, he was like the comic relief of this. He movie. was a comic was, relief a little was, while, yeah. and then you see, of course, him put him in the casket. Push the casket into the the crematorium. He kind of looks like Wolverine, actually. He, you're not wrong. And uh, but but he had but Jesus had escaped the casket at that point, yeah. coming back to life, much like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, and his skin is doing the thing. You know, oh man, that. But, but, but the special effects makeup in this movie is good. Did you think like, so? I liked it. I yeah, mean, I, I thought I, I could see the scotch tape and the, oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you can tell that like the stuff he peels off was the parts that he was meant to peel off and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But like, just it still felt very visceral, little, even little though you can kind of horror. see it. You know, like when he pulls his like stomach skin off and shit like that. None of that looked. But it's not even that funny. It's like, you know, look at my skin. Look at my skin. Yeah. Take it off. You have a new body underneath. But this alabaster new complexion. This this movie was fantastic. It doesn't it doesn't need to be explained because it's a movie that believes its audience is intelligent and can read into it. It doesn't have. Yeah. You don't have to be like me. I love that. Don't telegraph too much. Yeah. They don't have to say this is how this works. Right. They, they right. what they said enough at the beginning with that in the ruins of this thing, a man with strange strange skin was found. Yeah. Right. And so that told us that the Kronos device had had this effect on the alchemist that had fucked his skin up and made him look kind of non human. So then when it happens to Jesus, we're like, oh yeah, that's the thing that happened to the other guy. That makes me sense of to uh, us. Bram Stoker's Dracula. You know, <laughs> I, you... I looked up when that came out. Uh-huh. It did come out the year before, but there are very there's some serious similarities in look. That's a good movie. Uh, yeah. you, well, David, what was your overall impression? I feel like I know Carlos's. And... Yeah, no, I I, I love this film. I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, glad we had an excuse to. Uh, exactly. Is there a Del Toro film we don't like? That I don't like? Other than Hellboy 2, because we don't count that. Uh, what, wait, what do you mean? The second Hellboy movie. Hellboy 2 is better than Hellboy 1. You oh, think so? Oh, shit. yeah. It's a bam fight. Go. Yeah, what? no, we'll, we'll do that episode later, and you'll be proven wrong on that. Okay. If you're, you're going to make some statement about Hellboy 2 being disposable. Blade 2, I'll give you disposability, oh, maybe. Sure. But, I, but I actually enjoyed that film, so I... No, Hellboy Two, I think actually outdoes the original. Yeah. I'm gonna say something, but I bought y'all, I brought y'all Christmas presents ahead of time, so you can't get too mad at me. Never seen Devil's Backbone. Oh well, yeah, oh, no, the, no. The, the the only reason that I saw it is because our once great Alamo Draft House <laughs> did a whole month of Guillermo del Toro. Two of the films they did, one was Hellboy, which yeah. I had seen several times already, and was like, oh, I don't need to go see that again. Uh, and the other was Crimson Peak, which this was. In 20 early, no, actually, this was in 2017 when they did this. So, Crimson Peak had literally come out the year prior. Yeah. So, I had just seen it in the theater and I was like, okay, I don't need to see that one either. And the other two movies they did were Pan's Labyrinth and Devil's Backbone. Yeah. And so, whereas normally the four or five months that Alamo had been open prior to this Guillermo del Toro month, I went every single Monday to Horror Movie Mondays on top of going to see like new releases and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to talk I, about I, this I, in After Hours then because I've got strong I, feelings. I saw, I saw they were doing this Guillermo del Toro month and I was like, well, two of those movies I don't need to see in a theater. 
I'm 100% going to these other two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so without that, I probably also never would have seen Devil's Backbone. I probably wouldn't have seen Pan's Labyrinth because mm-hmm. there's no person in my life prior to me having seen it that was like, you have to see Pan's Labyrinth. What well, you Pan's you Labyrinth was a part of my Oscar yeah. race <laughs> that year that it came out. Well, sure. No. I, and I, I, as, I, it, as it should have been, but I, I'm just saying for me, I didn't ever have anybody saying, I can't believe you haven't seen this. Yeah. You need to watch this. You need oh, to watch this. And so yeah. the fact that it came to Alamo... Uh-huh alongside two other movies that I didn't need to prioritize because I'd seen them enough or so recently, I was like, well, I'm going to make a, a point to go see these yeah. two. And but you're I'm, a fan of I'm Devil's so, Backbone. I should, was I should great. see that. Is that on so HBO good. Max? Uh, well, that's I where know. I watched Kronos. Yeah. It was HBO yeah. Max. It's, it's it probably, if, if Kronos is on there, Devil's Backbone has to Okay, be I'm going to check that out. It's fantastic. Yeah. All right, two for two. When you're doing on a the movies, Del Toro episode, I mean. What about the beers? He's, he's not, you know, so the, Right, yeah, no, the the beer, um, we definitely feeling need it. to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Didn't didn't taste it, but I'm feeling it. If didn't if my taste if, it. if if my rambling has not been an indication that the 14 percent is getting oh. to me, uh, definitely feeling the 14 percent. But it didn't, yeah, it didn't taste high octane. It tasted very good. Okay, okay, very, okay. You didn't taste the ABV. I get. It's okay, very I get smooth. It. Yeah. No, it has a lot delicious. of flavor. Though. It's a robust. I did taste the ABV, hey, David. I need you to tell me more about this notion that a lager it's difficult to achieve fourteen percent because this beer was made to be drank just like this. It's got a rich flavor. Mm-hmm. It's got. It's bold. Mm-hmm. It's got. I'm tasting tons of caramel. Yeah, and definitely, it, it, but but not cloyingly sweet the way that I no, might, might have sweet, a little bit of a complaint about sweet. that ingenious. This is delicious. I want that whole can to myself, and then I'm going to stay home. <laughs> yeah, that's probably smart. Yeah, yeah, no, I I think it, I think it packs a flavor wallop, which is why I, at first I was thinking, what is Carlos saying? But I get it. No, it, it does not taste boozy to Mm-mm. me. But it That's definitely, why I said it was dangerous. If you handed it to me and said, what ABV is this? I wouldn't have said 14. Yeah, yeah, No, nor would I, nor would I. I mean, it does not seem like that kind of beer, and yet it is packed with flavor. Lots of, as Joe said, caramel notes. I think that, um, I, I, I think this will be in my regular holiday rotation. So Schloss Eggenberg is the brewery, and it's their Santa Claus Classic. Sounds like it's made under strict conditions, very traditional. Once a year, they yeah. they brew it, they age it, and they release it. In God, time it for the is holiday. good. How did you get your hands on this thing? This was at our local beer. Oh, if it's at ours, it's at yours. Go get it tonight. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of our listeners could get their hands on this. Probably. Yeah, it's pretty good. Delicious. Pretty damn good. Yeah. Someone say something. What? I mean, that's the end of the episode. Yeah, no, I think I think we're ready for you to do your spiel. Do your thing, Carlos. Oh, it's my turn to do something now. Well, I'm pushing my turn. You know, it's not. uh, You know, just because we got done here tonight doesn't mean that the party's over. You go to after hours. Yeah, patreoncom slash (laughs) (laughs) The best thing about this podcast is the conversation doesn't end when the episode ends. Uh, it continues on all of your favorite social media platforms. You can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, mm-hmm. Instagram at Beer and Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer and Movie TX, Beer and Movie Podcast.com. Obviously, you can find a link to listen to all of our past episodes, over 170 episodes so far. Uh, absolutely for free. You know, at the website, there's a great map. But there is also a great map. 
that the great Joe Hilliard no, has no, put no, no. together, he point. has uh, compiled, thank God someone is keeping track of what we do here, because Lord knows that our memory is a little hazy by the time we leave here. I just call uh, that Thursday morning. Sure. Uh, no, Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. <laughs> Let's edit that. I just call that Tuesday I'm not morning. editing that. I'm keeping that in 100%. 14% ABV, we get a pass. Uh, there's a great beer map. You can see all of the different beers that we've had from all of the different cities, states, countries. We've been to all 50 U.S. states. We've been to 12 countries. Uh, how many beers? 300-plus beers that yeah. we've had that we've tried and that we've reviewed. Uh, it's a great time. You can see uh, all the places that we've been um, beer-wise. And... As we've mentioned already on this uh, episode, patreon.com slash podcast is where you can support the show, yeah. which uh, does a great deal for us. It's going to buy us some uh, new pop filters here so that I can stop <laughs> popping my peas. Oh. <laughs> uh, th- if you want to hear less of that, subscribe to the Patreon. <laughs> $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week. Yes, we do talk about movies that we've been watching that we didn't discuss on the show. Uh, we do talk about beers we've been drinking that we didn't discuss on the show. But we also talk about the records that we've been listening to. We talk about the shows that we've been watching. The emotions uh, we've been the experiencing. The emotions we've been experiencing. The dolphins we've been swimming with. The, You'll hear everything, The whales folks. we've been riding. Yeah, every I once in a while, a it's a riding. very special episode. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does happen from time to time. And especially around this time of year, I mean, you know, there's plenty to talk about. We, we, we all need to be counting our blessings. Revolving around the holidays and what have you. Um, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, subscribing obviously helps you stay up to date with the most recent episodes, but rating and reviewing helps the show tremendously. It helps the algorithm do what it do so that more beer-loving and movie-loving people see our show and can discover all of the treasures that beer in a movie holds. I will be DJing at the American Bank Center tonight if you're listening to this the day that it came out. Uh ice skating rink is happening i'm turning it into a 70s roller rink and playing a bunch of disco and funk uh, got my tickets you did yeah nice sessions at eight and nine um check it out putting my set together right now it's gonna be a great if you're time. listening to this that morning of the podcast if you're listening to this wednesday the 22nd tickets, you can still right. get your tickets you can still slide through it's gonna be a lot of fun um other than that Hope everybody has a happy holiday, a Merry Christmas. Um, Hanukkah's already over, so we kind of missed the boat on that one. Um, but yeah, another tremendous episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. Folks will pay good money just to make themselves feel better. <laughs>